Get to Old Navy now for February's biggest style steal. 40% off all jeans and tees. Jeans start at just 18 bucks for adults, 12 bucks for kids. With tees from just 7 bucks for adults, 6 bucks for kids. All jeans and tees are on sale, even your favorite rock star jeans. All jeans and all tees are 40% off right now. Don't miss out. Run into Old Navy and OldNavy.com today. Valid 211 to 221 excludes in-store clearance jeans and tees. Active licensed and men's package tees. Today's sales leaders face a difficult task, selling the right products at the right time through the right channels. A new three-day program from Harvard Business School Executive Education addresses this problem directly. Join us on the Boston campus in August for Managing Sales Teams and Distribution Channels, where you will discover strategies that can lead to the best sales performance. Learn more by clicking the banner or visiting hbs.me sales. That's hbs.me slash sales. When I had come down this hill, I had seen this creature cross the road. They would have ripped my locked door from my truck, extracted me from my vehicle, and there wouldn't have been a damn thing I could have done about it. This thing, I got to notice in its eyes. Its eyes was real, real evil, real sinister looking. You know, the look it was giving me. Welcome to Bigfoot Hotspot Radio, Sasquatch Chronicles. I'm your host, Wes, along with my brother, Woody, and researcher, author, and friend, William Jeffy. Let's start the show. So what I thought we'd do tonight is uh, talk about the changes coming. I had the announcement in the last show uh, with regard to moving the podcast to become monetized. I guess I should have done a better job for the listeners explaining uh, what our plans are and what we plan on doing. I will say the bulk of the responses we've gotten back from people have been extremely positive. So I appreciate everyone everyone's feedback. Uh, and it's nice that the bulk of the responses we've gotten back from people have been positive. People saying, hey, you know, I understand that you guys do put a lot of work into the show. With regard to monetizing the podcast, I'm not, I refuse to actually just take the show away from people and saying, well, you have to pay now. We're going to, the way we're going to set it up is we're going to set it up to where there'll be a free uh, content and then there'll be paid content. And the whole purpose of the paid content is to help us, you know, I talked last week about taking the show to the next level. What I meant by that was what I foresee happening with the show 
the show expanding and becoming bigger. We have enough encounter stories and enough content coming in to the show to where we realistically could do a show almost every night. But what I'd like to see happen with the show is maybe two, three, maybe four times a week, create like a two-hour uh, show. Well, I guess, that, you know, the one thing that I know that people were concerned about was what they'd be getting for their money. I mean, they, they're, I guess the thinking was that they were going to be paying for the same show we've been doing, and that's not the case at all. Yeah, that's definitely not the case. I know we're still drawing a lot of things up in the sand right now with regard to the future of the show, but it's definitely not going to be the same show. I, people are going to get a lot more. Again, there'll be the free content and there'll be the paid content, but with regard to the show itself, the show is going to expand into, I'd really like to see a two-hour format with the show. And so it's not going to be just the same show everyone's been getting. We're going to be adding a lot more content and a lot more of the meat of this subject into the show, creating longer shows and creating more shows per week. Yeah, we're going to try to dig a lot deeper into things and uh, try to answer a lot more questions that people may have in the back of their minds as they're listening to these different encounters. Yeah, people are wondering about the logistics of the actual, you know, paying. Are they going to pay through our new site, and, and how are you guys going to set that up? Yeah, we'll set up. Again, there will be free content, and there will also be paid content. And for the paid content, uh, it will all be done through the site. And as we get closer to the website launching, we'll be coming out with that information on how, how people do that. I, I would imagine we'll probably have multiple pay methods like PayPal and things like that. Yeah, I mean, there'll be different options for it. But it's not, um, it's more or less so that we can focus. I don't think people realize how much time and effort we put into the show every week, how many hours actually go into the show every week. Oh, I know for most people realize that. But for the people that don't, I think they think that we just kind of jump on the mics, we bring people on. There's a lot of, a lot that goes into the show. And there's a lot, a lot of time and effort that go into the show. And I think one of the reasons why the show's gotten better is, you know, we've always tried to improve the show. How can we do this better? How can we do that better? How can we uh, make it more interesting for people to listen to? The route that we want to go to make the show better, it, it would help to, you know, alleviate some of the cost for us to make a better product for people to a better listening experience, a better overall show. I was going to say that David Hallett, who made a, a post on the guest or on the fan page, he made some good points here. You know, he said, based on the audience size, uh, you know, spending a couple of bucks a month or, or whatever it is, imagine the resources that can be brought to bear, you know, for the show in terms of field research, better guests, video production, all these different things where now all we're doing is, you know, interviewing guests on the phone. So, you know, having said that, you know, with us being able to divert uh, time we use on regular jobs now and focusing on this, we can bring you know, 10 times the content and quality and, and expand what we're bringing the audience. It's not just, not just the interviews anymore. There's, there's so much more that surrounds that that'll be brought out. Right. It's kind of that, that situation where if you guys like it now, just wait and see, you know, what it's going to be. Yeah. I, I think it'll be well worth, you know, the, and, and we're not going to be charging anywhere near what a lot of the other podcasts do. So, um, you know, we're, we're not trying to soak people like a lot of these folks out there do. Yeah, and like I said, there'll still be free content on the show. You know, right, I'm not going right. to I refuse to take the show completely away from people who 
uh, want to listen and and the free show will still be available. There'll still be content available um, on the show. You know, there'll be a, another portion of the show that'll be much larger, much longer, more content, and people will have the opportunity, if they choose to, to pay for that. But as far as just taking the show away from people, I think that's what started to panic people. And again, most mm-hmm. of the feedback that we got online was, was pretty positive. And a lot of the emails that we've gotten have been positive, but a small portion of the people it was thinking that I was just going to take the show away and now you have to pay for it. And that's not right. that's not what's going to happen. Yeah. And, and, of course, we'll have products, you know, they can purchase that we don't have now and and things like that. So. Yeah, the show's going to be much bigger and better and uh, more entertaining, more information than it has been in the past. It's just at the moment we just don't have the resources to put into it. Uh, it's a very small channel that we actually work through to get this out to the public. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. It's very, very small. And, and you know, what and working has actually widened that considerably. I mean, Shannon, you, you listen, you listen to the show more than more than Will and I do, or you have in the past. <laughs> do you think, as a listener, I mean, what is it that uh, people are freaked out about? It's not that you didn't do a good job explaining it. I think that it was just a lot to digest. Uh, as a fan of the show, before I ever came on board. If I had heard that, I would be worried, too. And you hit it on the head when you said, I just think people thought we were just going to pull the whole show and say, either you pay or we're gone from your lives, you know. And they, you know, people have a a relationship with you guys. You're important to them. Yeah, that that's that's basically, I think, what the main concern that people had. So we just want to alleviate those fears that you guys aren't going to be pulling away from from everybody's lives all of a sudden here. Yeah, all I'll say is is everyone just kind of hold tight and we'll there'll be more and more information with each show. Again, I'm not going to just take up and take the show away from everyone and say, well, sorry, you have to pay now. That's not really what we're doing. As the shows progress, you know, we'll have more and more information for the fans. But I just want to thank everyone for sending the feedback. Like I said, uh, you know, the bulk of it was very positive. Uh, with people supporting us, and that means a lot. And I really do appreciate that type of feedback. I appreciate all feedback, but for the people who are concerned out there, again, there's going to be paid content and then free content. And like I said, I refuse just to take the show away from people and say, "Well, now you have to pay." That's not what's going to happen. I know one of the uh, one of the main questions people are having out there is, "Who's this Shannon Legrow?" <laughs> <laughs> that we brought on. Who is and that person? <laughs> who is that person? <laughs> who in the world was that? <laughs> and before I have Shannon give us a quick bio on herself, um, I want to let people know that Woody just had a son was just born the other day. Hopefully he'll be returning to the show, but right now he just has a lot of things going on uh, to where it's tough for him to be here. But I want to congratulate Woody on on his son and my new nephew. Now, I know a lot of people are Great. wondering, you know, where is Woody? A lot of people are wondering, where's Woody? You know, why hasn't he been on that. the show? <laughs> yeah. Well, before we get to our first guest, Shannon, do you want to give the audience a quick bio on yourself? Yeah, I just, I wanted to introduce myself properly and, you know, let everybody know that uh, Wes and Will didn't just go down to the 
to McDonald's or get on Craigslist and say, hey, does anybody know about Sasquatch? <laughs> Do you want to be on a radio show? I've been researching the subject for about seven years, you know, not nearly as long as some of my mentors in the subject. I think you know who I'm talking about. I have been in Ohio now for about a year, but I knew that I was coming to Ohio for about a year before I moved here. So for me, uh, the interest ramped up about 200%, if there is such a thing. And since I've been here, I've pretty much been trying to do uh, field research and speaking to people, trying to get, you know, a feel for when you're speaking to people about their experiences, how to differentiate and maybe what questions to ask and what things not to say when you're speaking to somebody because the last thing you want to do is lead them. I learn something new every day. I appreciate everybody, and I wanted to thank everybody. Yeah, and I apologize for not properly introducing Shannon to uh, on the show. You know, you bring a lot to it, Shannon. We appreciate you being on. Before we actually get to our guests, there is a couple sounds I want to play for you guys. On Labor Day in 1994, this was recorded in Ohio, and it's it's called the Talker Tape. I know when I was on the podcast Sasquatch with Seth Breedlove, he had talked about this, about this uh, audio file. And it's called the Talker Tape. I want to play it for you guys and get you guys' feedback on this. I'm going to play that one more time. Sounds almost like a or a gorilla. It is creepy, for sure. Yeah, I think it could be, you know, it's inconclusive. I think it could be a person, but you're right, Will. It does have a weird, it definitely has it a has weird... It has uh, primate sound to it. Yeah, a little bit, huh? Like the yeah. chatter, chatter I've heard before right, kind of sounds right, like that. exactly. Doesn't it sound kind of like a deaf person talking? A little bit, yeah. Here, I'll yeah. play it one more time. Yeah, it's kind of, it's inconclusive, but it's kind of that weird chatter. Oh, it's got that that recurring theme of the the almost like a like it's letting out a little ah, you know, at the at the top of the uh of the sound there. You keep hearing that. So kind yeah. of chatter gibber and then ah. You know, it it has kind of a deep tone to it too, like uh like it would be from something with a large pair of lungs. You know, a lot of air behind mm-hmm. it. The next next one I want to play for you guys was responsible for a couple Bigfoot reports that went out on a couple websites. Creepy as that sounds, that was actually a dog making that noise. Yeah, I was going to say the howling definitely sounded canine. It's a very upset dog. Yeah, and you know, sometimes they'll sit and moan and, and make noises like that. My colleague used to do that all the time. He used to look out the window mm-hmm. and he'd be sitting there looking up in the air, making 
those kind of mournful howls and yeah. tap on the window and ask him what the heck he was doing. He's kind of look at me and go right back to doing what he was doing. <laughs> He's like, I'm busy right now. That's right. Leave me alone. Yeah, that's a weird sound for a dog to make, I think. This was from the Sequoia National Park. And these guys, they're not actually Bigfoot guys. They were setting up camp. And this is during the day. And I posted the video on our Facebook fan page. But during the day, they were setting up camp. And this is what they heard. They claimed it was coming closer and closer to them. video that um, you actually like, Will, on the Indian Reservation, where it sounds like there's the barking laugh, and it's it's that man taping on the cell phone, and it's actually a, a quite a long video, the one where the shot goes off. Right, right. And then it sounds like it screams, and it, that reminds me of that a lot. We were sitting we were sitting up at Mount Rainier camping on the west side. In fact, it was the weekend after 9-11 happened, and we heard that over the sound of the fire and us sitting around talking. It was it was coming from probably a half a mile or so away, but it was that exact sound. Talk about a conversation stopper. I bet. Yeah, the only other thing I wanted to play for you guys was a news story. Uh, this is an abandoned playground. And again, I posted this up on the Facebook fan page. But apparently there's this abandoned playground. Originally, a bunch of kids had a sighting. They had run into what they described to be like a white monkey running around this place. So these researchers show up. They actually got foot casts of this creature, and they show the foot cast on the on the news when they when they played the news. But I found the whole story the whole story about this abandoned playground. Let me play it real quick for you guys. I know for a fact it's not human. I, I know that. I mean, just looking at the the dimensions and the 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 contour of the track. Um, it's nine inches long and it's just shy of six inches wide from toe to toe. Last year, back in uh, November, uh, I actually had a sighting of a creature. I don't know what it was, but I mean, it was about six foot tall and it just bolted off through the woods. I was actually standing over there by the, uh, the monkey bars 
and that's whenever I heard movement over this way. Now look over here, it's actually right in that area. And it stood up and bolted off. And there is actually a, uh, people told me there is a creek down there too. So there's fresh water right there. There's two characteristics about this track that doesn't quite add up to what a lot of people believe it to be, and that is a, a track of a, of a black bear. Problem is, there's hair all in this thing, uh, but the hair isn't black. The hair is like a grayish color, uh, similar to what he described he saw back here uh, last fall. And then there's another characteristic about it that um, is more scientific. Uh, essentially, it has ridges and valleys in the impression, and there's only two. There's only two species that have that. Number one, humans and primates. Bears don't have uh, uh, fingerprint-like impressions uh, on the skin. Yeah, and if you look at that track, it definitely doesn't look like a bear track. It looks like your typical Sasquatch track. But yeah, if you get a chance to check it out on our Facebook fan page, our first guest tonight is Roger, and he wanted to share his encounter when he was a paper boy. He was actually stalked by a Sasquatch, and I wanted to bring him on the show because I thought the story was kind of fascinating, on especially on the Sasquatch's behavior. So I wanted to welcome Roger to the show. The thing that I want to tell all of you is uh, you can ask me anything you want. I know you guys come across a lot of BS stories, and uh, I'm just going to be perfectly open and honest with you about what happened and no frills to it. Um, the reason I sent this to you or, or sent you the email is um, um, from listening to all your your episodes I mean you, you guys are no frills you, you talk about the truth behind these things um, the BFRO guys with their searching for Bigfoot they've gotten kind of nutty and um, there I just haven't found anybody out there like you guys that are absolutely serious about this and, and talk about the truth behind what these things do and how they act and where they're at and 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 what's really going on with them? So, so you had an account when you were a young man, is that correct? Yeah, I was in eighth grade. In eighth grade, okay. So you were. This was this during uh, a time when you were delivering papers? This was uh, February fifth, nineteen eighty-one. I was uh, okay. paper boy for the Des Moines Register. Well, tell us what happened. Yeah, you know, we we had quite a, a heavy snow cover at that time, and it was well below zero. Um, that week, our previous week, uh, we had a bit of a snowstorm, so we had a nice fresh covering of snow over everything, and and uh, the temperatures were anywhere between zero and minus 15 at that time. It was just bitterly cold, and um, I had just taken over this paper out from a best friend of mine on January 1st, and I had done this paper out for him off and on just to give him some relief when he had to go to his grandmother's on weekends. So I, I was used to getting up at O Dark 30 and running around delivering papers on the route, and, and nothing scared me. Uh, the only thing that I was scared about was, uh, you know, somebody trying to pull up in a car or truck and abduct me. I had a close encounter with a with a guy up in in Michigan when I a couple of years before when we lived up there. So I was I was always on alert to somebody trying to pick me up, but I I wasn't thinking Sasquatch at all. About the week before this. Um, I was doing my normal thing, and and 
the thing was was that you know in the mornings it didn't matter how cold it was you would always you know you would hear some bird sounds or you'd see cats and dogs or you'd hear them there's always some kind of you know usually wildlife noise or you'd see rabbits you know running around between the houses <clears throat> but there was always some kind of you know animal noise going on and the week before this there was that but as my paper route would go around the outside edges of uh, of Eldridge and Eldridge is basically a a square city that's surrounded by cornfields. And when the corn is chopped down at, in the fall, you can see for miles. And so when I would get around to certain spots around the town that week before, and I didn't put this in my report. It was just something I was thinking about later. Uh, I would get to certain points, and, and they would change, uh, you know, from day to, day to day the week before. I just felt like I was being watched. I wasn't thinking Sasquatch. You know, I'm just thinking back in my mind, you know, it's just, uh, you know, the kid stuff. You know, there's there's a monster out in the darkness kind of thing. But but uh, I wasn't thinking Bigfoot at all. I I blew it off and, you know, kept doing my thing. When it came down to the morning, uh, it was a Wednesday morning, I took off from my house. I, I had an old 10-speed bike, and you think the wintertime would be hard to ride a bike, but the, when it gets that cold, uh, the snow crystallizes, you get really good traction. So I'm, I'm headed uptown to the old gas station to get my papers, and I go east on LeClaire Road. My parents' uh, house was right on the corner of uh, 9th and LeClaire, 9th Street and LeClaire in Eldridge. And I take off east, and I get to the next block down and all of a sudden it just I, I didn't hear any noises i just all of a sudden it's just like bam my i had a, a really weird kind of um uh, fear set in on me and i'm just like and then i i just felt something in my guts and i turned and looked to my left <clears throat> in between these two houses where uh it was these kind of evergreen bushes that kind of have the flat vertical um leaves are not really a leaf but they're not really a pine needle and I just, bam, I looked right there, and it was just all dark, and I didn't see anything. And it was really strange because I never, ever had that kind of fear response. And I kept going, and I'm, I mean, I'm looking over my shoulder. I'm just like, something is not right. So I get up to the old gas station, which is the, it was the only uh, stoplight that we had in town at the time. And I got off my bike, and I stopped, and it was just dead, eerie silence. And it wasn't like the mornings before, you know, uh, you know, you think if it's that bitter cold, nothing's going to be moving. And I'm just like, something's not right. What was it daylight yet? No, it was, it was, it was jet black dark. I mean, beautiful starry, uh, skies that, that night. I mean, just, I mean, it was virtually, it looked like midnight out there. I get my papers, I go on the route and all through the route, it just, it, it just felt like something was wrong and I would stop and I was constantly looking over my shoulder. And I'm just like something. Something's not right here. So, I uh, I get halfway through my route, which was actually a couple blocks from my house, and I come around this corner on the uh, corner of Fifth Street. And uh, in my report, I had the wrong cross street. It's not uh, Donahue. It's Davenport Street. And I look down and I see this huge footprint. And I'm like, holy cow! You know what's that? So I go up and I deliver the paper and I come back and get off the bike. I get on my hands and knees and I'm, you know, I'm looking at this thing and it's huge. I'm, I'm talking, it's, it's all of 20 inches long and at very least six inches wide at the heel. It was huge. I'm thinking, wow, this is some kind of, you know, really cool fake snow boot. And in that area, there was all kinds of kid tracks in the snow. And I got out and I'm looking, I said, there's, you know, I'm thinking there's got to be some kind of uh, print made in China or made in Japan on it. And I'm not seeing anything. 
And so I kind of sit up on my knees, and I look back from the direction, and I see more of them. And they go in between the houses on the other block to the uh, north of me. And I look forward, and they're going towards the southwest. They cross the street and go in between a bunch of these bushy trees. I look, and I see where this thing stepped on the curve. And you can see the boot prints of all the other kids where if they stepped on the on the, on the the curb, their, their boot didn't conform to the curve. This thing conformed perfectly to the curve, like if you and I walked on it in, you know, barefoot in the snow. And at that point, the chills went up my spine. And I thought, oh, my God, this this is a real Bigfoot track here. And uh, at that point, I panicked. I got on my bike, and I, I busted loose for home. And I went in, told my mom and dad what I found, tried to get my dad to go um, <clears throat> go look at these, and he just refused. And I said, oh, I'm not going back out. And I said, I'm horrified. I'm not going back out. And we got in a big uh, argument. It was either, you know, get my butt kicked by my dad or go out and face Bigfoot. So... Um, I went back out. I was um, I was scared out of my mind. I picked up the route where I left off, and I'm I'm on high alert. I'm looking everywhere. So I finished the route. I have to come back by my house and actually right um, almost by where I first had that that strong fear response, and that's when I noticed that this thing had come out exactly between the houses where I first had that fear fear response and looked to my left. That's exactly where it came out. Now I don't, I couldn't remember seeing tracks when I went by there because I wasn't looking at the ground. I was looking up at the bushes. So it came out there. It crossed uh, the highway, Eau Claire Road, and it went diagonally across to Elmer Green Park. Elmer Green Park sat directly in front of my parents' house. It walked through the snow through that park. And the the the, the great thing about this part is. No kids have been in that park since the last snowfall. There were no human tracks in there whatsoever. There were no animal tracks. There, were, there weren't even rabbit tracks in there. There was nothing. I come back later that day. I finished the route. Nothing happened. Didn't hear anything. Didn't see anything. And went to school that morning, came back, and I went to Elmer Green Park, and I followed the tracks to that point. And when I saw that there was no human tracks, no tracks in there, just these big Sasquatch tracks, and they had a spread on them, gosh, an easy five to six foot apart. And they went down the hill towards the creek. And when it got to the creek, it's it's kind of like, it looked like, you know, like if you and I take a lunge, an extra long step, this thing took an extra long step across this creek that had to be at least eight foot. It got on the other side of the creek and started following the creek, which is Hickory Creek. It followed it south to the to the south fence it was a farm field there on the other side was well it was a cow pasture and that whole corner of the park was one big snowdrift uh it, it was it was almost as high as the the farm fence which is about three and a half feet around here normally and it stepped in one side of the snow bank or the snow drift and then stepped over the fence into the other one five to six foot away with the other foot and it never it never dragged its feet on top of the snow drift at all. It was just step, step, and it was over. And it followed Hickory Creek back to the southwest, to the southwest, which leads back to the uh, Eldridge Sewage Treatment Ponds. I followed it back there, and when I I, I crossed Buttermilk Road to the side of the of the ponds, and then followed followed the the tracks. They continued to follow Hickory Creek on the maybe on the north side of the creek. And I started going back through there, and the snow had, had drifted in. It was pretty, pretty deep. It was probably three and a half, four foot deep back there. And I got so far back, and that same fear response hit me again. 
I stopped and I, I, I could see uh, over there there was there was trees that followed the creek. What I just followed was an open cow pasture. There was no trees along either side of the creek. So I just got this intense feeling. This thing is down there. It's watching me, and and the wind was blowing in my direction. You know from from the southwest to where I was at. I mean, there was there was airflow that way from that direction. And I'm just like, you know, if that thing is sitting down there 300 yards away with the paces that I'm seeing that it's making through the snow, even if it's walking at me, there's no way I'm going to be able to get out of here and get to uh, back, even back to the gravel road and get to some kind of safety. I just, I know there's no way I can outrun this thing. So I got out of there and went back home. Um, tried talking to my parents about it again, tried to get them out to see it. Uh, they just laughed at me, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't talk, wouldn't come out and see it. At that point, uh, that was, that was Thursday morning. The, the thing was, uh, I stayed out to about 1030 that night collecting for my paper route and I went right by that same spot. So I've got a set of tracks running from, uh, northeast to southwest. So stopped there. I knew it was 1030. I went home, went to bed. Got up the next morning, came back same time the next morning, and the strange thing was there was a brand new set of Sasquatch tracks. It was the same the same animal as far as I was concerned that was following its own tracks from the southwest back to the northeast. And boy, if if that doesn't rattle your cage, and and I kind of took that as this thing is kind of telling me it it knows that uh I know that it's there that's kind of the feeling I had and um I was I was really shook up I'm just like this this is not a joke this thing's real and and I could not get anybody to go out there and look at this with me so <clears throat> we went through um Friday delivering papers no no instance uh, n- nothing happened I uh, went through Saturday, nothing happened. And on Sunday, because the papers were so much bigger and heavier, my dad would, would drive uh, our little Toyota car and carry them for me. So we go through the whole paper route, and everything went just flawlessly. And I'm I'm feeling pretty good. I got my dad with me. I'm thinking, you know, this thing's not going to show up. And we got to the very last house on my paper route, which was directly uh, to the west of North Scott Junior High. And when I got to the last house, I threw the paper, I made a bad throw, and I smacked this storm door, and it rattled loud. And as soon as that thing hit, this thing cut loose with the most horrifying scream I've ever heard in my life. I mean, it was instantaneous fear. I I guesstimate that, I, I know it was between the house I was standing in front of and the house to my right, which was to the south. And there was more of these these big, tall, bushy things. I guess this thing loved staying near that kind of foliage. But I estimated that it was within 30 yards of me. And uh, it cut loose with that scream, and my gut instinct was I jumped straight in the air. And I hadn't, a couple months before, I'd done a book report in school on, on Bigfoot. And it was all, you know, the the Patterson-Gimblin story and uh, just some kind of benevolent stories of Bigfoot. There was nothing about eating Bigfoot's eating people or or capturing people and hauling them off into the woods. There was none of that. I hadn't heard any of that stuff. It was just basic, you know, people are seeing a big creature in the woods and that was it. But when this thing cut loose with this scream, <clears throat> I jumped straight in the air and like a lot of your your people that you you've interviewed in your show, they say they could feel it, 
And I've told people for years, it felt like those sound, sound waves penetrated my, my chest, my body, and went straight to the core of my being. It was so unbelievably horrifying. And so I'm the driveway is a sheet of ice. So when this thing screamed, I jumped straight in the air, and I rotated 180 degrees, and I hit the ground, and my feet went right out from under me, and I'm screaming for my dad. And I was so horrified. If you take your hand and make like a claw, uh, I, I took my gloves off for the last stop. So if you take your hand and make like a claw, I was I was so horrified. I was slamming my 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 fingers into the ice, and I was literally getting traction from the ice with my fingernails, you know, just stabbing into that ice on the on the driveway, while my feet were kind of like spinning behind me. And uh, and I'm screaming for my dad, and I'm trying to get up and run. And finally, I get to my feet, I run, and I slam in the side of the car, throw the door open. I'm screaming, Dad, you hear that thing scream? And he's in there with the radio cranked up, the, the heater blower going. He's reading a newspaper, and he didn't hear nothing, which I just couldn't believe because this thing was so freaking loud. So we got in the car, and we left. And I and I told my dad, I said, I'm, I'm getting rid of this paper. I'm not doing this anymore. I did not go back the next day to look for tracks up there. That 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 moment shook me up so bad. Um, I just uh, I didn't want to see any more tracks. I just wanted to find somebody to take this paper out from me and, and get completely out from under it. The strange thing about it was when that when that thing screamed, um, the the thought the predominant thought in my mind was this thing is going to eat me, and which was kind of strange because I hadn't read or heard any stories about. Bigfoot's eating people. I read one about a trapper that shot one and that came back and killed him, but not, you know, not eating people or abducting people. Uh, so it was just kind of strange that that thought went through my mind. This thing's going to eat me. I got to get out of here. And, uh, <clears throat> and so after that, uh, the next, probably for the next week, the mornings were the same. It was just eerily dead quiet. Um, nothing moved, didn't see anything. And then one day I go out and it's like everybody turned the sound back on and there was dogs and cats and birds everywhere. And at that point I was pretty well relaxed and convinced that, you know, this thing was, was gone. So, um, it, it, it was one of the things I couldn't get my mind around. Let me ask you the direction that tracks were going to into, into the populated area. Were there any kind of food sources around or did anybody, or did you hear about any dogs, cats, Farm animals, farm animals missing anything like that? No, no, I didn't. And I, I will say this much: at that time in the early '80s, there was not much in the way of white-tailed deer in eastern Iowa like there is now. And that was a brutally cold winter. And the best I can figure out is I, I think they were they were hunting. I, I think their 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 food sources were depleted. And and they were coming up out of the Wapsie River Valley. The Wapsie River is is about I don't know maybe eight nine, eh, I'll say between five and and eight miles north of Eldridge and Long Grove, Iowa. And and I think they were coming out. And like you said on other shows, if there's one Sasquatch, you're guaranteed there's there's at least one more with it. And I think that they were coming out looking for food. I think I was on the menu. Uh, it's I, I think there were some things that. What's that? In cold weather conditions like that, it's very possible if they're, like you said, if they're out of food supply in their whatever area and they're moving down to areas where there, there are livestock or maybe grains out and available or even dog and cat food if it's outside. 
Right. Well, my thought was they were sweeping through Eldridge, you know, maybe attracted to the sense of some of the bar and grills in town. That time we didn't have any real restaurants. It was just bar and grills. And then, of course, you had the sewage treatment pond, which may have been putting off an odor, too, at the time. I went back and I looked, and you guys can do this, too. If you go on the BFRO website and you look at at the reports of Sasquatch sightings at the end of 1980, like November, December, and then you go into the months of uh, uh, January, February, March, you see a lot of reports in that time period in Iowa. And there's kind of a stretch where, you know, they're, they're kind of up north. They come from where I'm at. And they kind of go up north a little bit and head over to- towards Des Moines. So I think maybe the cold um, had had pushed them down. Uh, the the food sources were depleted, and and I, and I do I think they were they were they were out scavenging. I really do. Yeah, it's very likely, very likely. When I did I did an interview with um, with uh, with a BFRO investigator, and um, I can tell you his name. I don't know if you want that on the air or not, but. Uh, when I talked to him and I told him about the tracks, he said, he says, that's almost unheard of that a Sasquatch will never backtrack on its own tracks. And I've never read another story like that anywhere ever. I've always kind of wondered, like I said, my thought was, I think maybe this thing was letting me know it knew that I, I knew it was there. Um, I don't know if they think that intelligently or not, but, uh. Let me, let me clarify something. He was trying to say that they won't follow their tracks back. Yeah, he he said that he you know he had never heard of them you know following their tracks back like that, especially you know in the snow. Well, I tell you, um, that's nonsense. I've seen that numerous times. <laughs> where they'll, really? They'll come down out of an area and then they go back up the same way. I, I would so trust he, your he opinion. Do uh. <laughs> they do that. Yeah, that believe me, they will do that. Okay. In well, fact, it's very <clears throat> common for them to follow the same path uh, year round when they're coming down out of sleeping areas, for instance, down to a feeding area. Okay. And they'll follow the same route right back up. And a lot of animals do that. It's not just Sasquatches. Right. I, I mean, it, it, it scared the heck out of me uh, when, when I first saw it. You know, as a, as, a, as a kid, you know, you read about these things, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a fairy tale. And when you start running up against hardcore proof of reality that this thing's real, it, it's, it's really hard to get your story. mind wrapped around it. Uh, that 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 was my first sighting, and then um, uh, seven years later, uh, I was in the Air Force. I was stationed in southern New Mexico. I uh, went for a drive one night with a, with a girlfriend, and we went along. They call it West Side Road, and it's it's a really beautiful uh, scenic drive up there because you can actually get up there and look right down uh, and see the city lights of Alamogordo down below. It was about I don't know, nine o'clock at night, and we're drive along we're talking we're laughing about something we both looked at each other and then all of a sudden i saw something out of the corner of my eye we both saw it at the same time and i turned and i looked and the first thing i saw was these two huge pair of glowing gold eyes and they were as my headlights reflected off of them it uh, it would turn from uh, it was like a gold color that wanted to go kind of red and I can make out the silhouette of the head, the side of the head, the shoulders, and then the, the long arm, uh, and then the legs. And this thing took one step off the shoulder of the road, in the middle of the road, off the other side, and was gone down an unbelievably steep embankment. And the, what got me about it was was the shoulder width on that thing was at least as wide as my 82 Mustang. 
And mm-hmm. I just, it just blew my mind. And we looked at each other and our jaws are hanging down and, and I floored it, went by there, and I said, did you see that? She said, yeah. I said, what do you think that was? And I and she said, what do you think it was? I said, that was a Sasquatch. And she goes, that's exactly what I thought. So we uh, we turned around and got out of there, and um, and that was that was um, that was the last we saw of it. But that that's been my two um, Sasquatch encounters. And then um, I live north of uh, of the Wapsie in a in a small farm town now, and. Um, when I got up here, uh, a neighbor of mine was telling me about a guy here in town that uh, that saw or found tracks uh, two, on two different occasions in the snow, uh, just a mile or two west of where I'm at now. And at nighttime around here, I believe that uh, in the summer and in the fall, I'm hearing these things how it's 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 a little different how and it's more of a how than a scream like what I heard. But uh, it, it'll be a long howl, and usually I'll hear a I'll hear a return off in the distance, off to the west. And if there's coyotes out here, um, uh, it'll be dead silent. I'll hear one of these howls, and then the the coyotes just go nuts. Off, right? yep. Yeah, yeah, everything goes off. In Washington. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. Down off I mean, the it's screaming, set everything in the valley off. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's what I hear here too, and and it's kind of strange because some nights I'll, I'll hear the you know on full moon nights I'll hear the coyotes. I'm, I may hear uh, a pack uh, to the north of me and one to uh, the east or to the west, and they'll be yipping and howling and barking and carrying on, and all of a sudden you'll get this howl, this long-lasting howl, and then it's almost like the coyotes get a panic. Uh, sound to them. They'll start yipping and crying and howling, and they just go absolutely out of their mind. And then you'll start hearing more of these returns. Yeah, they're being hunted. And you know what, those sounds there, it kind of depends. I mean, these things make a wide variety of noises, but then we have the different types of creatures as well. So there's going to be some variation between types and uh, and what they're doing. Well, what I can't figure out here is, I mean, the the Wapsie River... Um, it's a pretty, if you look at it on Google Maps, it's really windy. And you may have the river in one location, but then you may have a couple of miles of swamp on either side of it. I mean, it's perfect habitat for them. But then they've got, uh, they, uh, this guy that lives here in town, he, he, he has said that he's seen tracks coming from basically the direction of Toronto, Iowa. And they cross Highway 136, headed north towards uh, Edens Valley. It's a it's a state park, and heading up there. And it's kind of it's a it's a real bluffy area. Uh, there's not a lot. I, I, there's not caves like uh, you would think where you could just walk into them. Uh, there's smaller ones, but I can't figure out why they keep coming from the Wapsie and going into that bluff area. Um, Especially in, in in well winter time maybe they're just I don't seeking cover I don't know but I'm trying to figure out what they're doing going back and forth I mean where where you you know I've listened to your program where you know they'll be up in the mountains in the caves and then they'll come down to a creek or a river uh, they'll get water they'll hunt for game and then before dawn they go back up and they go into hiding here I'm not sure how they operate uh, you know in a place like Iowa. Not too much different. They're moving, you know, from one feeding area to the next most of the time. Well, where, where would you think they'd be bedding down? Would they would they want to stay high up on 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 some bluffs here, or would they Generally, want to stay down in kind of that swampy area? 
well, generally at, at nighttime when they bed down, and, and they do are active in the daytime as well, but a lot of times they're bedding down. Normally, it's up in higher country. Okay, so they they like to they like to sleep on the high ground. Right, and it kind of makes sense because it's you know it's 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 easier to spot um, dangers coming up. You know where you're, sure. you're alerted, you can escape easier and. Uh, you know, in the military, you know, I, I was in the army, so <laughs> I, I knew I knew you were yeah. military when you said "oh dark early." So uh, <laughs> that's, that's the term we use. But um, uh, high ground always has the advantage. Well, I I haven't seen any up here. Um, like I said, I, I've, I have somebody here locally that's um, seen the the prints uh, very close to where I live, and uh, I, I know they're here. I'm hearing the the howls and the screams. On the uh, BFRO, there's another report um, up the river about 30 miles from where I'm at now, north of Cascade, Iowa. A couple saw just a, a, a enormous Sasquatch uh, along the Wapsie there, and I can't help but think if it's uh, possibly the same one I saw. And, and I've, I've told people for years that uh, I believe the one that, that that got close to me was a male because I'm, I'm listening to the different howls. Um, on, on YouTube, and uh, this thing was was way more. It had more of a of a deep, um, um, I guess you'd call it like a manly uh, sound to it uh, versus uh, most all that I've I've heard on on, on the internet. Uh, I mean, it left no doubt in my mind that this 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 was a huge male. Um, I can't prove it. I didn't see it. Uh, it's just kind of my my gut instinct uh, about here's, it. Here's one key that can can tell you what whether it was male or female. The males will you know in their in their areas. The males will be on the outside, while the females and young are more inside, you know, for protection and all that. But the males are the okay. ones that are out on the edge of the of the um, the territories, and they're going to take a little more chances probably in dealing or being close to humans. So uh, more than likely, it was a male. Yeah, I, I gotta agree with that. And, but, and males um, are seen more often than the females by a large percentage, you know, for that very reason. But like I said, it was just—I've um, never been that scared in my life uh, since, or, or before that. It, you know, for for years. I mean, I mean, it, it changed the whole way I look at uh, going camping or hunting. Uh, when I go camping or hunting, and I really don't sleep in a tent. I, I basically kind of sleep with one eye open, and and right, um, I really don't like to there. sleep. Yeah, exactly. Um, last time I went camping last uh, last fall, I uh, I literally didn't go. I didn't go to sleep till the sun started coming up. I just uh, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. And you know, after after listening to some of your episodes here. I've, I've had to sit down and rethink about, you know, how I, how I go hunting in the woods because I, you know, I would go, you know, especially shotgun season, you know, deer slug. I'm thinking, okay, I, I got enough power here to take one out. And, um, after listening to some of your stories, I realized I really don't. I, I got enough to, uh, if I had a headshot, maybe take one out, but then, uh, what am I going to do about the other three or four that are mm-hmm. there with it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to get enough rounds off. Well, it definitely sounds like a terrifying encounter, Roger. I mean, uh, especially being a paper boy, I can imagine. I know what you mean when you say you felt, you know, you felt the scream, but it's definitely a terrifying encounter. That's for sure. It really was. And, you know, two things that, I mean, I think they're explained in my mind now, but at the time, 
it's like how did I know to look where I looked when I first got that fear response because, you know, Sasquatch wasn't in my head at all. How, how did I know that? And after reading a little bit about um, pheromones that animals put off, like uh, bears and, and, and lions, I, I think that's, that's what I was picking up. I think that triggers a response in us from ancient times when ancient humans yeah. had dealings with these things on a more, much more regular and personal basis. And I think a lot of times that's, uh, or, you know, when we look at why we're so fascinated with monsters and, and man-like monsters in particular, goes back to our, you know, the sort of a primal fear in dealing with these things. Right. No, I, I, I agree with that. But, you know, when I got that first fear response, the next thing that I felt, it, it, even though I couldn't hear anything, I felt it in my guts. It was like if you stand next to a, a big bass drum from a marching band and they hit it, and you feel that in your guts. Right. And I always wondered about that, and I and I kind of I kind of got this this uh, this idea that that these things, after hearing the scream, because it had really high frequencies in the scream and it had really low frequencies, and when those sound waves hit me. I mean, I, I felt it in my chest, my guts, everything. It was, it was like, a, you know, like a beam of light hitting you. It was weird. And, and then when I learned that, you know, African elephants can communicate over 15, 20 miles with low frequencies, I kind of wondered if maybe these things aren't able to communicate with each other with really low frequencies. And maybe that's what I was picking up because I know low frequencies can affect your, your intestinal area. I've, I've read that before in different stu- scientific studies that they've done, and I kind of wondered if, if maybe that wasn't, you know, what I was, was picking up or if it was just part of the initial fear response of, of uh, picking up on the pheromones. I, I don't know. I don't know if you guys have ever heard anything like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it could be a combination of things. I mean, some of this is very little studied yet, so it's, it's really hard to tell, yeah. but it's very likely that it's, you know, one or both of those things. Right, and, and an the thing is, for an eight-year-old to take in. Oh man, I mean, it, it, it and what, what the strange thing was was that you know I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I mean, it just, um, it just never left me. I mean, it, it, it changed. Uh, it was like a huge paradigm shift for me as far as you know camping and, and hunting goes. It doesn't ever go away. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I, I and um, two of these things 40 years ago this year, and it was like it was yesterday. Yeah, you, you still have that. You, you just feel that that fear coming up in your guts it, about it. It it's never cool. goes away. Never. If you get a chance to record those sounds you've been hearing, yeah, I, I should. I don't. I don't have anything at this time to to record it. Uh, and they're they're really distant. I, I don't know if a recorder would pick that up. I I have some parabolic dishes. I could probably try hooking something up. To, to try to record it and um, and send you a WAV file on that. Um, It'd be interesting to hear give what a you listen got going to it. on there. Yeah, uh, if you if you look uh, with my report there, there was there was another one in Scott County, and that that guy described his encounter just like mine. When this thing went off, it sounded like a siren, and uh, he he was in a in a tent with his girlfriend, and it just it blew him away when they heard that. They heard it walk up on him. I kind of wondered if. Once again, it's it's not the same one. My my thoughts are they like to to, to move up and down this Wapsie River Valley because it's uh, it's got a lot of game in it now. It's got a lot of swampy, marshy areas that nobody can access, and they could they can move around um, all they want, and nobody would ever see them. 
Right, and they're rotating around through their their feeding areas. Yeah, so, uh, feeding and sleeping and and uh, and all that. Uh, right. You know, listen to your program. I, I you know, I've, I've heard some people come on your program and some other programs that go out there and they're actively pursuing these things, and they kind of get a jovial tone about them, and <laughs> they tell you that uh, they're 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 not afraid of these things. And I'm telling you, if they're not afraid of these things, they're 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 insane. They're out of their mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I agree. My, you know, I'd I'd like to see one again, but at a long distance through a scope. I don't I don't want to. Yeah, there um, you go. <laughs> I, I don't want them within thirty yards of me. God. Yeah. <laughs> well, we we sure appreciate you sharing, Roger. We appreciate you coming on, and sharing your story. Oh, well, you're yeah, you're welcome. Very much. And like a, yeah, thanks, Roger. Well, I you know I got to thank you guys for um, you know cutting out all the the phony baloney on this uh this whole um uh all this information on uh, on sasquatches um you know if you if you if you're sitting there watching searching for bigfoot i mean that's a joke there's uh, way it's, too it's much nonsense out there way too much yeah I, I tell you what i i found your website probably uh about 2 months ago and I think I've gone through about every single episode that, that you guys have have had on, and uh, besides thoroughly loving it, I've learned so much about these things that that I never knew. What what was strange was there's a lot of things that you talk about that uh, that I that I experienced, and then I had a lot of other ideas about what these things were doing, and you guys just came along and confirmed everything that. That, uh, that that I thought, and then added a whole lot more that uh, that I didn't know, uh, like their behaviors. I couldn't I couldn't find anything anywhere on their behaviors. The the other guy that uh, and you guys have mentioned him a couple times, John Polites. I I come across him about a year ago, and uh, I haven't bought and read his book, but I've listened to a whole lot of his uh, radio interviews, coast to coast, and some other programs. Just the disappearances. Once once I came across his information that's when i i started to really believe that you know these things are man eaters and if you're out there by yourself and they're in the mood they'll take you and there's nothing you can do to stop them yeah and, and you know, um, it goes back to a lot of the native american tribes around the country um and a lot of them call them cannibals and man eaters they were known to be that way yeah so how anybody um, can translate that into forest friends or whatever they call them is yeah me. Yeah, you know, I mean, up up until maybe about th- three years ago, I hadn't read anything on on these creatures taking anybody, abducting anybody, eating anybody. Just hadn't run across that. And uh, here in the last three years, you know, doing searches on YouTube, uh, I started picking up a little bit. And then I come across John Polites, and I was like, oh wow. And I started going through all the encounters that uh, that he was talking about. He came across one that um, happened back in 1982 in Kentucky in Land of the Lakes. Um, it was it was either him or it was it was another uh, another another person on on YouTube. But I, I think he mentions it in in one in one of his uh, interviews. But I, and I I was in Kentucky at the time, and I, I remember just this this quick blurb on the news about a family uh, camping in an RV down in a campground land between the lakes uh, where the mom, the dad, the two kids were found murdered, and that was it. And then I found out later on it was a lot more than that. I mean, they 
the authorities went there and they they found um, uh, the bodies torn apart, partially eaten, and they find the little girl hanging from a tree, partially eating, eaten. And uh, that was the first real story I heard about about these things um, attacking and killing people. It was also the first story that uh, you st- I started to to understand what you've talked about. Uh, there being, you know, different species, uh, they're not all necessary, necessarily a Sasquatch. That one down there, it started to come out uh, from from locals that it uh, that one down there in that area is more like a um, more like a, a two-legged walking baboon, and oh, and that was kind of the description. Right. Yeah, or they call them a dog man yeah. sometimes. Uh, I think. Right. That's the type three. Yeah. yeah, and I know and, that uh, uh, David David Polites is careful not to say, you know, what he thinks it is, but you know, it makes you wonder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he'll he'll tell what the descriptions were from from the locals, but but when that story mm-hmm. came up, I'm like, oh my god, that that's that's what I remembered uh, as a kid when I was down there. So at that point, uh, you know, I started to realize that uh, you know the, these are man eaters, and there there's more than one type of them. And that they they're all across the country. They're just not out in the mountains. Uh, they're you know they're here in in Iowa and Kentucky and Missouri and the Dakotas. I um, I worked for a guy at a um, a alternator repair shop that um, um, he had a friend who was a rancher up in South Dakota that he was in the Air Force with, and um, he went up to visit him one time and uh, he said I want to show you something. And he set him down and he um, he played. Uh, uh, home video. Uh, it was a nine. I think it was a nine millimeter film of uh, of these Sasquatches uh, out on his ranch. And um, he said, he said, family doesn't talk about it. We're not going to show these films to anybody. But uh, he goes, I want you, I want you to know what's what's up here. And uh, he um, he wasn't too shocked. He uh, he he had been stationed up in Alaska at a remote base up there, and and he had seen. Sasquatch tracks on sandbars up there, so it, it didn't surprise him. But uh, but these things are are everywhere. So um, uh, I've learned a lot in the last two months, uh, thanks to you guys, and uh, just stripping away all the all the bull that's out there. I mean, I really do appreciate you sharing your story and, and coming on the show. You're welcome. I don't mean to yeah, cut you keep off. Keep in touch I just... with us. Yeah, keep in touch with us. Okay, well, thanks, thanks for having me on, and I, uh, I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's been fun. Well, thanks for coming on, Roger. Thanks, Roger. You're welcome. Y'all have a yeah, good thank- evening. I know next on the show we have Chris, and Chris kind of had an interesting sighting. He had one walk around his car. He talks a little bit later on about his uncle uh, hearing what he described as monkeys chattering out. I think it was in his backyard. I'll have to bring him on to ask him, but... Um, I wanted to welcome Chris to the show. Okay. Hi, Chris. How are you doing this evening? I'm good. How are you doing, Will? Good, good. Well, I guess I usually like to start out talking to people to find out, uh, before you had your encounter, what your knowledge of the subject of Bigfoot was. Um, not too much, but I, I was always, like, curious about it. You know what I mean? I, I believe that... You know, and maybe it was something out there. You know, being in Georgia, you you hear stuff, but you, I mean, I never seen it with my own eyes until the, what I saw right. at night. But um, I never was the one to be like, no, they they don't exist. Cause you know, I watch okay. the shows, finding Bigfoot, whatever. But and all yeah. other stuff. But uh, yeah. Now, how long ago was the incident? It was like like ninety six, ninety seven. Okay. Well, 
leading up to that moment when that when this incident happened, tell us what you were doing. We was uh my my there's a neighborhood that my cousin and my uncle lived in. So we went over there and we hung out for a while. We go over there, we parked the car. Right but right beside my uncle's house it was uh, they stopped construction over there. Like it, it it's almost like a house that was that was about to be built but they stopped. So it was like a a street right there, they stopped like they was gonna build but they stopped on it. So I parked my car right there, which is it was like seventy yards from my my uh my uncle's house. And I, I parallel parked. I backed up facing the street, like, leaving outwards. Like, you know, just, just because I don't know why I just did that. So me and my cousin, we parked the car. We get out. We we, we walk towards uh, my cousin's house who lived on the up, uh, on the other side of the neighborhood. So as we walked over there, we hung out for a while, you know. We stayed at his house about 30 minutes. When we left, he left before me. So he walked to the car, and I was behind him. As I'm walking, he's already in the car, right? Mm-hmm. And the car is facing me. So I'm walking, and I was about a hundred yards from my car, and it was it was it was it was it was dark. So as I'm walking towards the car, I see like a he's six foot five. So I see something come behind the car, pause, and then walk into the woods. And from that, I just see a six foot five frame, and it was dark. So I thought I assumed that was my cousin. So I kind of yelled at my cousin, like, "Like what you doing?" I said, "I said you think I can't see your big whatever going over the woods?" And I and I and I started, I started laughing. As I, I kind of ran to the car, just playing around. Cause we, we play around a lot, though. So I ran to the car. Say, I'm gonna leave him. I'm gonna leave him. He go. I said, I bet he come out of those woods then. As I get to the car, I was about to unlock the door, and he was he was sitting in the car, like laid back, like he was asleep. And the back of the car is a curbstone, and it's the woods right there, mm-hmm. and it's pitch black. So now I'm like, okay, if you sitting there, then what what was that? <laughs> Just walked into the woods, you know. And my now my hands like trembling, right? I can't, mm-hmm. I can't hardly open the door. So I unlock the door, and this is old station wagon I was driving. My old brother, my dad, he got his old 1986 station wagon. It's kind of rigged up. So when I to crank it up, you have to open the dashboard and, and, and push a button. And keep in mind, I'm trying to hurry up and leave because I don't know what's behind me. And my cousin's 6'5", so his knees is blocking the dashboard. So I'm saying, move your knees out the way. Move. <laughs> you know, he he was like, "What's wrong?" Man? I said, "I just seen, I thought I seen you going to the woods." I said, "Something is behind us," you know, right? So, I, I, you know, I got the car going and I left. And I and he he was like, "What you talking about?" He never to this day he didn't see anything. He was just in the car. So, fast forward to this year, my uncle who lived right by that spot, we just got on the subject about Sasquatch Bigs or whatever. He said when they first moved to the neighborhood. He remember that behind his house is a lake, and they heard a whole bunch of yelling, like a bunch of like chimps or monkeys, like yelling and fighting. The, the being Padmore of Georgia, the hit, it, it was weird. He said, "Now I didn't never tell him about the incident I had, so I let him just talk." I said, "Yeah," he said, "Well, man, uh, my wife Mary moved here. It was like 
a whole bunch of, like, ruckus going behind by that lake. And it was like a whole bunch of monkeys, like, yelling and fighting, screaming. He said it was like, he said it wasn't no birds, it wasn't no owls. It sounded like a bunch of chimps back there. And he said, and he called my aunt in, and, and, and she said, she like, she couldn't hardly remember. He kept trying to, like, refresh her memory. He said, then he turned back to me and said, Chris, I was scared. He said, I wasn't, he said, I wanted to go outside, but I wasn't about to go outside. Because it was, it was kind of like 2 o'clock in the morning or whatever, late, and he had his window up, and he heard all that stuff. He said he didn't, he, he said he didn't know what that was. But, uh, and then I told him my, what happened to me by that late. I mean, by, by his, in the neighborhood. And today, I don't know what it was. I know it was a, a, a tall, dark figure, and it went to the woods like you would go into your room. Mm-hmm. You know, being pitch black into the woods, you know, you go in there. I mean, us, you you try to like, you, you kind of go in there slow trying to get the, the, the bushes and stuff out the way, whatever. Right. It just walked right into the woods. Like, it was pitch black. So I was like, I didn't know, I, I don't know what it was, but, I know it wasn't my cousin. Do you know if anybody else in the area has talked about seeing anything around there? I know that um, there was a lady in Roscoe, Georgia, that reported something about seeing um, a Sasquatch. Her husband, years before, said he's seen it. It was in the paper. He, she had seen it. He seen it for, uh, like for her, and she was laughing at him when she was trying to when he when she he was trying to explain what he seen. And, um, you know, she didn't believe in whatever. But a few years ago, she said she encountered the same thing going on this dark road in the Roscoe. It's like, I don't know if you're familiar with Noonan, Georgia, whatever, but it's over in that area. Well, there's a lot of right. forest around there. A lot. A lot. And um, I remember my cousin, Michael, he's, he's, <laughs> we used to crack jokes about uh, this guy, he said, Used to go around people's homes and look in their windows with their gorilla suit on, and they called mm-hmm. it the, the Belt Road Booger. And I was oh. like, "What is that, the Belt Road Booger?" He said, "It was a road, a area, area with this uh, thing used to go around, and people say it was a, a guy in a gorilla suit going people's home, look through the bathroom, look through the house, whatever." And I was thinking, Belt Road Booger, you know, but I heard Bear and I think Tim Baker whatever. We're calling them things boogers in the South, whatever. Right. Apparently, uh, I guess a lot of people in the South call them boogers. That's the that's the common term. Right. I don't know if somebody, if they just wrote it off, thinking it was it was somebody in a gorilla suit, or was it the real thing? People assuming it was a guy in a gorilla suit. I don't know. Right. You know. Right. You know. So. It's an interesting side note, though, to the story, uh, Chris. That. People were saying, oh, it's a guy in a gorilla suit looking in people's windows. Well, if it's just some creeper guy, why would he Why would he put on a gorilla suit? And exactly. We've right. heard that so many times with these things going around looking in windows. Right. Yeah, and, you're trying to you put know. that square peg in the round hole, and it's, it's, you know, you just go, oh, guy in a gorilla suit. Just, you would just go, oh, it's a Sasquatch looking in my bathroom window. Exactly. And uh, they never locked the guy up, so they couldn't, whoever it was, got away. Supposedly, if it was yeah. a guy in a gorilla suit, you know. People don't talk about it. My my friend, my best friend, actually, we had a conversation the other day, and he was so hyped up about the Russian Yeti. So we watched it together. So we had a conversation about, <laughs> um, you know, the, the Yeti the other day. Like, he, he was so hyped up about it, and then all of a sudden he kind of 
say, well, I don't think that's true. You got, you know, there's no evidence. But he went on, right, for like 15 minutes. Then he paused and said, well, my grandmother did say she saw something in the back of her yard before that mm-hmm. was big and black and hairy, whatever. It didn't come into the yard. It just stopped at the at the, at the, the tree line, and it went back into the woods. And I'm listening. He said, well, you know, it could have been a bear, man. It's, Bla- it's bears that in, in Blairsville, Georgia. Yeah, and usually those yeah. people, you know, like he was saying his grandmother, usually they know the difference when they when they see a bear, and especially if oh, they're yeah. living out in the woods like that, yeah. you know. Absolutely. Right, right, right. Yeah, they, they, they know. They're not, they not crazy, so. I'm still kind of dwelling on when you were talking about uh, them out by the lake making, sounding like a bunch of chips fighting. Fighting, yeah, just yelling. He said he said they was going at it like it was crazy. The be the because he said, wait a minute, it's no no monkeys in 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 the states or in Georgia, you know. And yeah, that's that's really fascinating. And it's power. If you go a mile back, it's, it's power line that go from from Fairman, Georgia. It kind of stops in Union City, but it goes all the way through Noonan, Georgia, going. Not too far in Lagrange, but it, it, for a good little bit it goes. And, and I heard mm-hmm. that they they travel through power lines or something. I don't know if they Joe, go hundred along those power lines. Okay, okay, right. So, you know, I wanted to write you guys and tell you, you know, what what I seen, and you know, I don't know what it was, but you know, I know, you know, it was, it was a black figure went to the woods and with. With no problem at all, just went there like he was going to his living room, whatever. So I don't, you know, because I'm fascinated with like there's something out there that people don't, you know, think is a hoax, but it's truly it, it exists. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I want to get more involved in it. You know, what I mean, I won't get killed, but I want to get more involved. <laughs> That's a good way to think. <laughs> <laughs> right, you That's know. Hilarious. We appreciate you coming on. Chris and sharing your story with us. Oh, no problem. Thank you guys for having me. Next on the show, we have Bruce from, I believe he's in Washington, but uh, he had an encounter back when he was 17. And it's kind of an interesting encounter. It's, it's multiple witnesses. And I believe he even saw the creature. So I want to welcome Bruce to the show. Hey. Hi, Bruce. How are you this evening? Hey, Will. Well, I think what we'll do is we'll just go right into the meat and have you tell us what you were doing right before the incident and then walk us into the story. Well, the the main incident I had was uh, I was going on a hunting trip with my brother. It was just like a one-day trip, and we were going up, you know, uh, the area above uh, Greenwater. Right, right. I know the area well. We were up there... Um, Place called Dells Ridge, and uh, we just seen a like a nice herd of about 25 mountain goats on the side of the road, and we were <clears throat> we were going up up this uh, side of this mountain that uh, that curved around, going up the mountain and going around it at the same time, and there was a big clear cut underneath it. Above it was um real heavy um, old-growth timber, and we'd run into a car by the road right before we 
got there, and we had my little my little nephew with us, and he was like four years old, three or four years old. We had to leave him in the car. We dropped my brother off up around the back side of the mountain. I drove back around and got out to meet him up over the top of the mountain in the in the old growth timber. Down below the road, the big clear cut had a clear cut all the way down to the bottom of the valley, and then there was like a a creek running down the bottom where there was trees, and then the other side other side of the valley um, there was another clear cut on the other side of the trees, and I stopped to see if there was any any uh, deer down in the clear cut, and I scanned the whole side of the clear cut and um I thought I seen a big black looked like a stump burnt stump and I kept scanning across I didn't see anything and I just out of curiosity I went back and looked at that stump again and then I thought I seen it move and I was like whoa sat there and stared at it for a while and it uh it actually started moving and I thought oh it's a bear and then I was like, no, it don't look like a bear. So I picked up my scope, and I looked at it through the scope, and then it was just amazing what I see. And it was, it looked like a person standing there, a hairy person. Freaked out. I stepped back. I, I thought, my first thought was just run. Run back to the truck fast as you can. And I was really scared, and I thought to myself, uh, calm down, take a couple breaths. And I, I did that, and I stepped back up, and I looked through the scope again and looked at it, and it was exactly just a big, hairy, giant man standing there. And I watched it, and it moved around a little bit. It was looking back and forth, um, turning its head. You know how everybody says that? That they turn their whole the whole body when they when they look around. He wasn't doing that. He was actually turning his whole head, looking back and forth sideways. And I was looking, you know, he was probably about 200 yards away. And with the scope, I could see it really good, and I could see his eyes, his hands, his feet, and. She really scared me. I was real scared, and I I almost took off running again after I stared at it for a while, and I kind of walked down the road towards the truck because I thought about my nephew being in the truck. I got about halfway there, and I stopped and went and looked at it again, and I noticed a couple a couple hunters in blaze orange on the other side of the trees and on the other side of the valley walking like right towards it. And I, I would caught myself whispering to myself, uh, oh, man, you know, get out of there, you guys. He's, he's right there. You're going right at him. And uh, right then, I think it, it sensed that they were there, and it reached up and grabbed onto this branch and pulled on this tree and screamed like a, I don't know, like a, like a woman, like a woman getting murdered is what it sounded like. And it lasted for a long time, and it and I was watching it do this, and and it went into a deep growl, kind of at the end, like a 
lower lower growl instead of the high pitched scream. That really scared me. I, I almost took off running again and I I calmed myself down again. I had to take a couple step back and take a couple breaths again and, and then look up over at him and uh those guys they heard it. I seen them stop and look at each other and they took off the exact opposite way of where it was and I was like, Oh good, get out of there. I didn't see it walk. I, it was just standing there and it was looking around and like it, like it almost sensed that somebody was watching it, but it didn't really look towards me like it knew where I was at or knew that I was looking at it. And it was big. It was, it made those, it made those hunters look really small and it had, it didn't have no skin showing on its face. It was more like, uh, like the Patterson where it was really, really hairy on the face where you could hardly even see anything. Right. Bruce, this happened out on the reservation, right? No, this happened up in the up in the above hills, Greenwater, up, was. above Greenwater, yeah. Oh, okay. It's like you're heading towards Mount Rainier on Highway 410. Right. Yeah, right. exactly. Uh, how far he away was did probably, you? He was probably about two hundred. I was about two hundred yards, maybe two two hundred and fifty away from him. Okay, so you're quite a distance away from him. When you said that you saw it standing there and you could see it turning its head and doing, you know, certain movements, what what do you think it was, like, doing down there? Was it just kind of standing there and you thought that it was aware of the other two hunters? Or was yeah, it doing I, something else? I think it was, I think it was, it was either listening for something or maybe there was another one around that I didn't see that it was maybe paying attention to. I'm not sure. Or if it was just just looking around, I don't know. But it kind of looked like it might have been concentrating on listening to something. I think that's what it was doing. You know, we talked about sentries before. It's very possible that was the sentry for that particular group. Wow, Wow. yeah. I ended up taking off down to the truck and jumping in the truck with my with my nephew and he was saying, Do you see anything? Do you see anything? And I was like, No, I didn't see nothing <laughs> And I was scared and my brother came up shortly after and uh, you know, we drove off and went and hunted around a little bit and went home and I didn't tell him about it. I told a couple of my close friends after I got home a couple of days later and they got they got word out to him that I seen something and uh, we were at a family gathering and he pulled me off to the side and he said, uh, did you see something in the mountains? And he, he was kind of pissed and and I said, uh, yeah, I did. And he goes, man, he said, you know what, you, you, you see something up in the mountains like that, you, you tell me, you don't just, uh, you know, you don't let that stuff slide by. And I was like, man, bro, I was like, hey, I did, I thought you'd think I was crazy or, you know, I didn't know if you'd believe me or not. And I, I got, I got emotional when, cause I was, you know, I kept it bottled up so long and I didn't tell anybody about it. That when he started scolding me for not telling him about it, I was, uh, I almost cried. It's really hard to keep it bottled up, but who do you tell, you know? Yeah, that's why it's good to have guys like you out, like you guys around and to be able to tell a story like this to somebody. To somebody that actually would believe you, you know. Well, we've been in your shoes, so you know we can definitely relate to your encounter and, and everyone else's. 
after I had the encounter, I think for like a year, and I, I hunted and fished all the time. For about a year, I kind of shied away from both. I still fished around in, in, on my reservation a bit, but I didn't, uh, I wouldn't go up in the mountains and go hunting without, you know, a lot of people with me, four or five now, what people. Reservation with me. Are you, what reservation are you? Um, the Muckleshoot Reservation? Right there near Enumclaw, right? Yeah. Let me ask you a question, just to, uh, on, as far as the muckle shoots, what do they say about these creatures? I tried to get some information. You know, younger, when I was younger, I was really curious about, about the subject. I, I always wanted to read books and, you know, I was really interested in it, but when I would try to get some of the elders to talk about it, they were pretty, they were pretty tight-lipped about telling me. Some of them would tell me some stories about what they'd seen. But I never really heard any any legends or anything like that or, or beliefs. I kind of had to just find out stuff for myself, pretty much. Yeah, I think that's the case a lot of times, you know, and especially, you know, with the older folks. Um, you know, there's sort of that gap with a lot of the younger people who don't want to listen to the old uh, stories and, and, uh, and things. They, they didn't really, you know, I didn't really hear any old ancient you know, um, legends or anything like that from them. Just uh, some of them would tell me their little encounters of when they seen them when they were hunting and stuff like that. But that was about all I could get out of them. And they pretty much told me to don't go near them. That's pretty much the warning that I got. Yeah. I, I was just curious. I, I try to talk to a lot of the, the different tribal folks around the regions and and uh, and get an idea of what what they uh, you know their view and, and history and stories are. I, I can give an example. Like one when, when I was doing research for my first book, I called up to Kodiak Island and talked to a, a real nice young lady up there at the tribal headquarters, and I asked her what what their uh, history was on these creatures, and she says, "Oh, I don't I don't think we have any." She says, "But I'll." I'll ask around and get back to you. And I thought, well, okay, I'll never hear from them again. And lo and behold, yeah. two weeks later, she called back and she says, you know, I talked to some of the elders, and I found out there were all kinds of stories and, and history. So it was a it was a real <laughs> eye opener for her too. And it's it's pretty much you have to know the people in order to get them to talk to you. Otherwise, they won't talk to like strangers or anything. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, fascinating account. Uh, I know there are a number of stories from that Greenwater area. It's, uh, and even as much as that's been logged up there, and of course it's grown back over the years, but uh, that region is definitely active. Yeah, I've heard a lot of, like, not just the elders, but some of my friends and some of my cousins that hunt around up there. They have their own, you know, encounters and sightings that they've told me about too. That part of Washington don't really talk about it much. I uh, I lived out in Graham when I was growing up. That's where I had ran into two of them when I was uh, 16, and am still getting contacted by people who lived within a couple miles of where I grew up, saying, "Yeah, I saw you know one or, or two of these things at the same time period," and, and we went all these years, you know, 40 years now, not knowing that. How big do you think the creature was that you saw? Well, I know I know the two hunters that were on the other side of the woods from it were a little bit farther away from it from me than than it was, 
and it was closer, so it was naturally going to look bigger, but it made them look, they looked really tiny, and he looked big. And I'd say he was probably at least nine or ten feet tall, and he wasn't, he wasn't a skinny guy either. He was really, really wide, really heavy looking. Kind of like the, the, the Patterson one, but, but not, they didn't have the breast or anything. Probably pretty big in the shoulders too compared to that one. Yeah, it was really big. It just seemed, uh, it didn't, you know, it didn't look, look didn't have the V shape in its back. It kind of went straight down, like just big all the way from head to toe, you know? Right, right. Yeah, the males will be mm-hmm. a little stockier than the females, especially in the upper body. When I had it in my in my sights, you know, I, I didn't even realize I was actually aiming my gun right at it. I finally realized that I was I had it, my crosshairs right on his head, and I was like, whoa! And I kind of I kind of dropped it down and looked away from it. I was like, whoa! I, you know, I shouldn't be aiming my gun at this thing because it looked cause it looked like a person. The way it stood and the way it looked around, it, it looked like a guy in a suit. Is what it kind of looked like, but it was it was so big it couldn't have been. Well, we appreciate it, Bruce. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Hey, I'm glad, thanks, Bruce. I'm glad you guys got a hold of me because uh, you know I've I've always wanted to get this out a little bit more. To besides just my closest friends and stuff, and and I was glad I was glad you guys were interested in my story. Oh, absolutely. And I know in my email, I I had a couple other sightings, too. I wish we had more time. I, I mean, there's a few stories I know, too, just local that are pretty, you know, pretty believable, scary stories, you know. Well, I'll tell you what we could do, Bruce. Uh, we could bring you back on tomorrow night and share more encounters. Yeah, that would be awesome, man. I'd like to talk to you more about, because some of the, the other two sightings I had were brief sightings, but they were uh, they were pretty scary because we actually went back and looked, you know, at the area and found some, you know, really obvious signs that something was there. Cool, man. Hey, thanks okay. for having me on, you guys. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you, Bruce. Yeah, I love the on. show. I really love the show, and uh, I just wanted to give a shout-out to my Bigfoot buddies, uh, Rob. Doug and William, these are the guys that we we share our stories together. Well, cool, man. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks a lot, you guys. All right. Have a good night, man. You too. Well, I know we're going to welcome back Bruce on Sunday to share more of his encounter stories. I know we're running out of time tonight, but we're going to bring him back on Sunday to share more of his stories, and I want to thank everyone for joining us tonight.